Hello, this is Pam December, and this is the Mad for Purple podcast, your place for all things spirituality, self-actualization, healing, and human design. Keep listening to receive wisdom, tips, and tools as we journey into higher consciousness together. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode from Mad for Purple. Today, I'll be talking with Flora Ware, who's a dear friend and mentor who has been a huge catalyst in my own spiritual journey. Flora is a paradigm shifter, goddess guide, and the founder of Earth Song Temple. She is a 6-2 manifesting generator with the left angle cross of alignment two and channels of the wavelength and money line. Flora serves a global community of women through her sacred business as a ceremonial priestess, cyclic living teacher, vocal healing mentor, and pagan songstress. She specializes in archetypal spirituality and embodiment, helping women hear their soul's voice, awaken the goddess within, and align their life and work with their unique feminine power. Flora is deeply connected to her Celtic ancestral roots, having been on the path as a practicing witch since her first full moon women's circle in 1993. She currently lives in Vernon, BC, Canada with her wife and young wizard in training. Welcome, Flora. I am so excited to have you here on the show today. Thank you so much for being here. I thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to it as well, Pam. Excited to see where this conversation goes. As a manifesting generator, you wear many hats and have worn many hats <laughs> throughout your journey. So I would like to ask when and how did your spiritual journey begin? I think it began when I was born. <laughs> I feel like I'm one of those people that is like a soul on a mission. Like, okay, it's time for me to come back. And being born in the late 70s and, you know, having hippie parents, they've been very influenced by the whole East meets West fusion that was happening. And through the exposure to yoga and just the principles, I was raised with parents that would say things like, oh, well, you're an old soul or you've been reincarnated or, you know, just little comments like that, that at the time I didn't understand the significance of, but as an adult, I've come to appreciate, you know, just even those little, like what kinds of things those comments seed in someone's consciousness. Right. (laughs) And I do remember one day, I must have been eight or nine and going on a nature walk and the heat was rising up in those like rippled waves. Like we came into an open meadow and like the heat and seeing heat waves. And I just was like, wow, is that God? And my dad turned and smiled and said, yes. Wow. Oh my goodness. That's so beautiful. Yeah. And so it, you know, it's a great question. You know, when did my spiritual journey really begin? So when I became conscious of my spiritual journey, I was about 14 or 15 years old at that point. And having been raised in a family that both my parents were gardeners and loved the plant kingdom and flowers. And that's, yes, that's why my name is Flora, being connected to nature, you know, going for nature walks instead of going to church on Sundays, those kinds of things. But yeah, by the time I was 15, I'd been uh, introduced to this thing called the wheel of the year. I'd seen the circular calendar, the graphic of it. And when I saw that circular calendar, Pam, everything just made sense. You know, I just thought, right, that's what our calendar is supposed to look like. It's a circle. It's a cycle. And I attended my first full moon women's circle and got to sing and drum around a fire. And I just knew it 
from that moment on. And then over time came to learn terms to describe what it was like paganism or earth-based spirituality or what was Wicca and what wasn't Wicca or any kinds of things. And so I just, yeah, I had that early introduction to ceremony and ritual and living in a harmonious relationship with nature. And so that's really what started me off on my path. That's amazing. And to have that at such a young age really speaks to your 6'2 profile of the role model, <laughs> having that early introduction and knowing that you're here on a mission. How did that shape going into young adulthood? Yeah, there was a certain amount of pressure, I think, that I put on myself and on my ambitions and on my talents, because I did have talents that I was fortunate enough to get training in around the performing arts, especially. That was definitely my wheelhouse as a musician and in theater and in dance. So all the performing arts. And so that feeling that I had inside of me of being, you know, to exaggerate, destined for greatness like destined for something. So if anyone listening can relate, if you've grown up with this feeling, like it's like this deep inside the soul and it's like, I'm destined for something. I don't know what it is necessarily, but oh, I have these talents or I have these passions. Oh, this must be it. And so I went, you know, headlong into that thinking that that was the channel for it. Really hard to make it, air quotes around that, make it as a performing artist in this day and age. And I also came into that industry at the time that we were transitioning away from like CDs into digital music. And, it, you know, so there was circumstances that made it difficult, but I got uh, broken hearted, honestly, by the time I was in my early 30s, because like I felt that my dreams had betrayed me. Or like my talents had not taken me where it was supposed to go. And yet I still had this feeling like, well, what am I meant to do with my life? I really, gosh, I really thought I was meant to do something amazing with my life. And I haven't really been able to figure it out so far. So actually, I love that you're asking this question that it did put, I put extra pressure on myself and had, you know, this feeling like I'm meant to be doing something amazing. What is it? And it just, I suppose it took me until closer to 40 than not to really figure out the channel for it. And I ultimately had to create my own platform and my own business for my talents and my gifts to flourish. And to come to that realization, like in your early thirties, like we have all these goals, these checklists, things that we're supposed to have met by the time we're 30, right? You're supposed to be married. You're supposed to have a child. You're supposed to have the white picket fence. So what a period of time for you to come to terms with how things quote unquote should have went and how they actually ended up. Yeah, definitely. Now, again, thanks to my counterculture parents, I didn't have those expectations on me of accomplishing by 30. At least I didn't have it direct from my parents. There's certainly enough of that pressure from society. So I know that I felt some of that turning 30, like, why haven't I figured this out? And that was also when I realized that the Mr. Right that I'd been looking for was not a mister at all. And I met the woman that would become my wife. <laughs> 
and everything turned upside down. But it really was, it was a, it was a process and it took time. You're absolutely right. There really wasn't a moment, but I do remember the moment where I decided to go into business for myself and had found out about this new online business thing that for some reason just appealed to me. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. That was back in 2016. And I'm so glad that I have the kind of personality that will allow me to just, I don't know exactly what I'm doing. I don't know how this will turn out, but it feels right. So I'm all in. (laughs) I love that. It's so important to follow those breadcrumbs of what feels right and to step into the unknown sometimes. I'm curious, where did priestessing fall into all of this? I like to say I was born a witch, but it took me 20 years to become a priestess. So I mentioned, you know, my first women's circle back when I was 15, and I stayed with that group while I was still living at home and finishing high school. And that group of women was mostly my mom's friends and my mom's age or even older. So I was the young one in the group, the young maiden, as it were. And I learned about ceremony and I learned about circling in those early years. And that was the experience that I had. And I didn't know any different. So when I moved out on my own, moved to the big city and that kind of thing, I definitely felt something missing from that experience. Like I'd take myself out on a walk on a full moon night, but I was still in city streets and, you know, that kind of thing. And so I guess it was by the time I was in my early 20s and, you know, having different circles of friends, I must have put it out there. Hey, do you want to get together? And let's do this. And so I kind of fell into leading those kinds of circles out of necessity because I wanted them. And at different times, I had different friends in my life who were also comfortable in the leading. And so that was great. I could just go. But more often than not, I found that women had the desire to gather But there wasn't always that someone who was ready to raise their hand and say, yes, I'll lead the circle or I'll host the circle. And so if I wanted the circle and that meant that I had to lead it, then I would do it. Right. And with my music, too, I started teaching workshops and basically just getting more and more comfortable in that role. I was already comfortable on stage. Right. If I was like in a play or if I was singing a song, that kind of thing, I already felt comfortable with. But I just I started to get more and more comfortable with leading groups in different capacities. And I would have never called myself a priestess before five years ago. Again, it just wasn't something I related to. I just wasn't really there yet. If anyone had said, well, you lead women's circles. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a witch. Like, it doesn't mean make me a priestess. For me, there was suddenly like this elevated status of, I don't know, like that spiritual leadership. And so when I first started my priestess training, it was, again, it was a little bit like, I don't know what I'm getting into again, but just knowing that it was right. And through finding my mentor and through the priestess presence temple, I didn't know that I'd still be in it. However, many years later, that's just what I was doing right then. But I felt so nourished myself from the experience and what I was learning and then being able to translate it immediately into my online group programs, into a membership that I was running or a live event. Again, I don't really remember the moment, but it just became very, very clear that this is my path. This is what I do. And gosh, I guess that makes me a priestess. (laughs) Embrace it, right? Embrace it. Exactly. 
Yeah. On the topic of priestessing and priestess as an archetype, the archetypal work that you lead with in your business with the seven sacred feminine archetype quiz and leading into She Spirals Temple. How are you finding that helping other people and women specifically around their spiritual healing journey? Mm, How do archetypes help women on their healing journey? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, archetypal psychology, it really helps us understand ourselves better at a deep soul level when we can understand the archetypal energies that we hold. And so I think how that helps us on a healing journey is really that coming from that place, understanding who I really am and not the me that I put on a face for other people, not the me that society wants me to be, or my parents wanted me to turn up like the real me. Right. And so, yes, when I first started working with archetypes, it was so life changing and eye opening because, for exactly that, that I would have thought of myself as one way of how I've tried to adapt myself. And when I got really honest with myself, be like, actually, no. I'm much more this. This is what's real for me. And the moment that my seven sacred feminine archetypes dropped in and connected with the seven chakras was a real moment of understanding the embodiment of this work. Because a lot of people would love archetypes and archetypal psychology as, you know, it's like a bit of a curiosity. Psychology itself is the study of the mind. It can remain kind of in the mind of like, oh, that's neat. Oh, I'm learning about this or that. But unless it's really understood in the body and also embodied in our understanding and in our practice, then it's a bit surface deep, if you will, right? And so connecting it with the chakra system and those energy centers that are very much in the body gives us that extra level of being able to feel it and to understand ourselves. There's a lot of people, again, that East meets West fusion that happened, you know, decades ago, a lot of people in North America, it doesn't even matter their religion or if they're non-religious, a lot of people have a basic understanding of the seven chakras. And so it just gives that extra level of understanding ourselves archetypally through what we already understand as being the energies and the themes of those chakra centers. So would you say with the vocal healing work that you're doing now, obviously it's going to be the throat chakra. So if we tie that in with archetypes, the muse comes to mind. Is that one of the archetypes that you work with specifically within the vocal healing or do you keep the archetypal work separate from what you're doing there? Yeah. Like you said, there's no way to do vocal work without activating the throat chakra. (laughs) So there's definitely going to be some healing there, some more empowerment. And I believe that, yes, it will. Even if someone's not necessarily strong in that messenger archetype or that communicator archetype, whatever you think about it, yes, the muse is being that creative energy that comes through and gets expressed in the world through the throat chakra, all of that. Even if you're not strong in that, Doing vocal work will strengthen it for you, will bring it more forward. Now, of course, as a musician, I think musically, right? And so I can even think of these chakras and these archetypes like notes in a scale. And some people have even applied them to different frequencies and notes. But so if you are strong in the mother archetype, let's just say a lot of women are. So if you're strong in the mother archetype, in my system, that's 
the sacral chakra. It's our womb center. It's, you know, it's like, this is where we give birth to not only children, but to projects and ideas and our creativity and our sacral. So that you've got that frequency going on. If you bring in the throat chakra more, being expressive and creative and communicating, you're still playing the note of the mother archetype, but now you're creating a chord, right? You're creating a chord of harmony, let's just say. And so, you know, this is an analogy that I love too, because it really is thinking about ourselves as an instrument. Some people prefer the term channel or vessel and all of these things are, are great. I do as well, depending on the situation. I'll use any one of those words. Thinking about that, depending on what someone's goals are when they come for the vocal healing, will really determine how specific we get in terms of archetypal invocations or really getting clear on that. But yeah, that's how I perceive it and approach it. And women love it. I really like that relationship to music because if you think of us as vibrational beings, there's this harmony that we want within the body and with our expression that if it's out of harmony, then when you're looking at the chakras, then yeah, maybe there's something that's out of tune and it's something that you can work with and heal and bring back into harmony. What are some of the typical things that you're seeing around, say, the throat chakra, uh, wounding, or I don't want to say blocks. <laughs> I don't know why I'm resistant to blocks right now. Yeah, limitations in the expression of and the creation that can come from the throat. The main one is a feeling of being safe to express. And there's varying degrees of that, of that it's safe to express myself only that much, or it's safe to express myself about these things, but not that, right? So there is very much a limitation. There can just be a limitation. Or if someone has been wounded around that, really, it's like it doesn't feel safe to express yourself really at all, other than the basics of necessary human interaction. <laughs> So when it comes to singing, that is a big leap for a lot of people. Like, you know, vocal healing, even for speaking is enough for the healing journey for some people. But the women that come to work with me are wanting to sing as well as speak. And that's really it. It's what is it safe? And also around how will it be received? You know, I was told I had a terrible voice or they can hear it for themselves. You know, I love to sing, but I can tell I'm not quite hitting the notes or I'm a little bit flat or, you know, so if it's self-judgment or if it's actually a criticism that we've heard from somewhere else, it's really around the safety and like the pleasant voice, this idea of the pleasant voice. And I sound terrible, like, oh, as if that means that you aren't worthy or allowed to sing or express at all, like, unless you have the beautiful voice, right? Like it is all very much tied into to worthiness and safety. Yeah, because how many people do you hear that say they hate their voice, just their speaking voice, having to hear it played back to them and how that, in a way it's like a feedback loop of continuing that story of lack of worth, lack of value. Well, let me ask you, Pam, how has it been for you hearing your recorded voice and putting it out into the world on this podcast? It's interesting because I think back, I think it was like grade four or five, we had a talent show and a friend and I, she played guitar and I sang and we sang country roads. 
And I, for the life of me, I have no idea how I ended up in that situation, how I thought that I could do this in front of a bunch of parents and be okay with it. Because like now I don't have a good singing voice, but with the podcast, it's been really amazing to just allow myself to speak, allow myself to stumble, allow myself to have the ums and the ahs and that be okay. And it's really allowed me to embrace that part because I'm not a perfect speaker but at least what's coming out is real. Yeah, exactly. So this is great that you're going through that experience. And it also shows how we, just like when we look at a mirror, we're not actually looking at ourselves, how everyone else sees us. We're looking at a mirrored reflection of ourselves. And yet we think like, that's what I look like because that's the reflection that we're used to. Same thing with our voice. We think that we're hearing ourselves. I mean, don't we have two ears right here? But there's enough of a difference and a change that then when we hear, what? That's what I sound like to everyone else. It's a real trip. I remember when I got to the point in my early, you know, in the, my professional training was singing and recording myself a lot. I got to the point where I was comfortable hearing myself sing. I got to that point. I'm like, okay, I'm comfortable hearing myself sing. I know what I sing. And then when it would pick up me talking in between or just talking to my band, I'd still be like, but my speaking voice is still weird. They are two different voices. Yeah. So with that, you know, coming back to the archetypal conversation, like any archetype that is related to being a messenger or being that kind of communicator, that muse is one that I will relate to. doesn't matter what system it's in. I don't even, you know, I don't need to know this system, but if I take the quiz, it'll be like, oh, you are the messenger or something like that. And that's another way with archetype and that whole study that once we know ourselves, in a few of these different systems or ways, then it's like, we get it. We can look at a brand new system and we could almost just like, it's like we can read ourselves because we know ourselves. Exactly. I know I love like with human design because there are hundreds of archetypes within human design. And every time I come across one, I'm like, oh, that's part of the 13 moon (laughs) because they're all interrelated in some way. Right. Yeah. You start to see it, whether you're looking at the traditional 12 from Carl Jung or the 13 moon mystery school archetypes, which are more divine feminine, or I've even seen systems that are more gender neutral, that are really chosen words that can, you know, doesn't feel like it. Oh, that's definitely more of a man than a woman thing. Doesn't matter. I think that's also why I really like looking at the connection with the chakras. Because it doesn't matter your gender. If you have a human body, you have the major energy centers and understanding ourselves from that place. And it's really like not to put you in a box or to put a label on you, far from it. It's actually to say, hey, here's a blueprint of who you are. And so that you stop trying to do things that aren't in alignment with your own makeup. Mm, yes. I know one of the things that I've said about working with archetypes too is it's a safe way of looking at yourself because it's something outside of yourself. And then you can relate to it wherever you're at in that moment. And there's not this self-judgment that can come into it of where you should be. At least that's what I have found. Do you have any suggestions on, because you mentioned safety being a real issue for people to be fully expressed, to activate that throat chakra. What are maybe some ways to start building that safety so that they can really start looking at the deeper healing work? 
Well, I know for a lot of people, it's um, being alone when they are vocalizing. They need to feel that security that no one is going to hear them, at least at the beginning, right? At least at the beginning. And for a lot of people these days, it seems to be their car or they're driving by themselves, right? In their car. You're in your own little bubble there. And so the car, I know the shower has typically been that place, but actually if you live with people, everyone can hear you singing in the shower. So if you really need that privacy to feel confident and vocalizing, try it in your car while you're driving around. And again, it doesn't have to just be singing. It can be just exploring the vocalizing or saying some things out loud that you have been holding back, right? Or knowing that you are by yourself when you are in your home to feel that safety. And what's also coming up beyond that is just using your own hands to place on your body to bring that somatic experience of discomfort and touch that if you are sitting, let's just say you're sitting cross-legged in a meditative position, right? If you place one hand over your heart and one hand over your belly, and it doesn't matter which hand, but you just, those two spots and you breathe and you just let yourself feel and breathe and feel and breathe and settle in then that touch, that loving self-touch does wonders for a sense of safety because honestly, the pain, the fear, the criticism that you may have heard about your voice or anything around that wounding for the majority of people, it's in the past. It's not present. It's not happening right now. Like I said, not maybe not for everybody, but for the majority, that is old pain. It's an old story. So that those somatic markers to just touch your body and to be really present, it's like, that's, it's not right now. That's an old story. You can let it go and then you can heal in the moment. Mm, feeling that, just that groundedness that that could bring. And in the groundedness, the safety, right? And I love that reminder of it's in the past, right? And if it's self-judgment in that, it might be old mirrors that we're looking at that need to be let go. That's right. Yeah. Why are we still retelling these old stories to ourselves? Why are we, you know, allowing ourselves to be in that repetition of that old narrative, right? That's the work. Just come into the present. Is this real? Am I actually in any kind of threat right now? No, I'm not. So I can be safe. I can feel grounded and I can feel safe and I can let myself express with my voice. <laughs> Please express with your voice. <laughs> Please, please, please. Because the thing that I love to emphasize is that our voices are the most personal tool we have, and they are the most powerful tool that we have. Instrument, tool, again, whatever you want to go, they're the most personal and powerful instrument that we have. A literal built-in healing tool in our bodies. And not only for healing, like the healing has to happen first, but for manifestation as well. I am raising my son in a very different way with the birthday candle wish of say it out loud. You have to say it out loud or it won't come true. <laughs> the opposite of what, right? Of like, don't tell anyone your wish because it won't come true. Actually, that's the opposite. To manifest anything, you need to say it out loud. You need to tell someone. You at least need to be willing to tell yourself, hey, this is what I want. And then I'm going to do something about it. So again, vocalizing our voices. Yeah, not only heal, but they create, they manifest. 
Absolutely. And that just makes me think of there's so many people in the human design when you look at their charts that they have an unmotorized throat or an undefined or open throat. And so for the rest of your body to be able to take in the vibration of what you want to bring in, you do need to vocalize it. Yeah. I love how you're weaving in the human design piece there. Because clearly I have a defined throat, right? Clearly that I'm someone like that. So maybe I'm going to turn it back on you just to expand on that. What do you recommend for someone who doesn't have a defined throat? You're saying that it's even more important to say it out loud. Yeah, I think the the number one thing that you might not feel safe in doing, but try and work up to it is to find someone that you can soundboard with. Now, soundboarding is just being able to brain dump verbally to someone without getting advice or feedback. It's purely so that you can get out all the things that want to be expressed. You get to hear yourself saying those things and feel into whether those are actually true for you or not. Great. I love that suggestion. And it doesn't surprise me that I am a big verbal processor as well. (laughs) So even though I do have a defined throat, I do love to verbally process. And I just, yeah, I appreciate this awareness that for others who aren't as defined in that area, it's still really beneficial because of all the other areas of our body, hearing ourselves and what you said, it has to be the right person because you don't want to soundboard with someone who's going to try to give advice or fix. They just want to listen. They want to witness and I mean, offer some key reflections if they can, depending on your relationship. But thank you. That's great, Pam. I think that's part of the power of circle as well is being able to speak your truth and be witnessed without there having to be a feedback loop. Yeah, absolutely. In my experience, that creates such a safe and sacred container for people because it's so rare in our society. It really is. It really is. So anybody that has a motorized throat or a defined throat, you really have the power to invite people with undefined or open throats to be able to speak and get that energy moving and get it out so that they can feel into it all. And you get the gift of receiving that as well. Yeah, that's really true. And thanks for that reflection, because again, it just confirms it's like, this is why I do what I do. Exactly. Thank you so much for being here. If people want to find you after the show, where do you hang out on the internet? Where do I hang out? Well, my website is my name, floraware.ca, proud Canadian. And um, on Facebook, my group is Awaken the Goddess Within. That's a free public group. Or if you're on Instagram, you can find me there. I'm not on every single platform. I just, I don't want to be. So those are kind of the main ways to find me and yeah you can take my quiz that Pam mentioned which of the seven sacred feminine archetypes are you that is on the website it's a great place to start especially if you're curious about your primary archetypes and if you want to have some fun you could even do it the reverse you could answer the complete opposite and you can find out your shadow archetype or your least archetype as well so you have some fun with that if you want to <laughs> That does sound like fun. So I'll make sure and have all those links in the description below so that listeners can go find Flora and participate in all of her magical ceremonies and chants and all the magic. (laughs) 
Yes, all the magic and all the music. And I just realized that, yeah, my music is on Bandcamp and also on Spotify. So you can find my Songs for the Wheel of the Year album on there. And I also offer singing circles every couple of months as well. And that's another way, especially through Zoom, some people feel safer joining in a virtual space and you can keep your microphone muted for a lot of it because Zoom singing together is a bit wonky, but yeah, lots of opportunities. I mean, really, I just encourage everyone to start thinking, even if you're not a singer, if you want to feel more vocally expressed, then you need to start speaking your truth and you need to start actually saying what you want to say. And that's, that's the first step of it, isn't it? <laughs> it is. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for being here. Yeah. Thanks, Pam. Thank you so much for listening to this week's show. If you'd like to connect with Flora or take her Which of the Seven Sacred Feminine Archetypes Are You quiz, all of that information will be in the episode description, or you can head over to my website, madforpurple.com to access the show notes. I want to thank you all for your continued support as I navigate the changes that I want to make on this podcast. I've really enjoyed the space that I've had the last couple of weeks and just feeling into where I want to take the show, how I want to produce episodes, and what kind of schedule I'd like to release them on. So thank you so much, like I said, for all of your support and just coming with me on this journey as, as I pivot. Other ways that you could support me in the show are to head to Apple and leave a review or head to the link in the episode description and sign up for the Human Design for Self-Actualization presentation. It's a great introduction to human design and self-actualization and how the two work together. Before you leave, don't forget to click that follow button on your podcast listening app so that you don't miss an episode. Thank you again so much for listening and I will see you then.